Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to the sun-splashed winter edition of the Patrick Lally Show. Uber producer Dan Peters and I will guide you through the next couple hours here of lively conversation on news and politics. Weather, there'll be some weather, maybe some state budget, parking ramps, all of the good stuff here on the Patrick Lally Show this afternoon. Uh, most, uh, most of uh, 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 my quality time uh, and most of your quality time over the last, probably this morning, maybe a little later, maybe late last night, was spent scraping that crust of ice and snow off the driveways and sidewalks. A snowblower can't help you now, people. Not when it's like that. That required straight-up power shoveling. God forbid somebody walked down the sidewalk, as happened to me, leaving me behind these shoe-shaped ice blocks connected to the concrete with this death grip. It ripped my shoulders apart with each attack on this snow. It was, that was awful. That was awful. Dan, did you, do you, did you have to go out and scrape away all that stuff yet today? I did some of that. And I did a little, another pass this afternoon after the sun had done a little bit of work and the wind had done some work to kind of put things a little bit more in place. But yeah, there were two tire tracks of my own that I had to make up the driveway last night. And I think the, uh, the newspaper delivery person also mm-hmm. made a few of those foot sh- footprint-shaped yeah. ice-covered stuff. And, and the thing about it is that the surface was first warm enough yep. so that it would ice up instead of the snow being descended upon it, and then you know it, it would be able to, to peel it off with a shovel. It wasn't but, bad if it if you hadn't if it hadn't if it was still you know virgin. It was fine, and you know that. Whoever walked on the sidewalk, wasn't their fault. Wasn't their fault. But they went at just the right time when it compacted, crusted. Oh, that's terrible. Should have been about a, you know, 15-minute job, and it turned into too much. But, you know, good times here in the best little city in America. It was, uh, it was a lovely bike ride home last night, I can tell you that, as the snow was driven by those 30 to 50-mile-an-hour winds. It, uh, it really looked nasty. But honest to God, honest to God, it wasn't that bad. Because it was kind of warm out, you know, for one thing. And the crunchiness on the snow on the ground meant it wasn't really slippery, you know. So if you didn't, you know, ride it where the cars had been and that kind of thing, it was fine. It was fine. Plus, and this is big. This is a big plus here. Uh, I was going the right direction. Tailwind. So there were times when I didn't have to pedal. <laughs> oh, you weren't doing the Bob Seeger against the wind, were no, you? No, I was not against the wind, uh, you know. My max was about 12, though. It took a long time to get home. I averaged about eight. Uh, but not, you know, not a little buffeting from the wind, a little sliding around, but a nice ride all in all. I actually felt bad for all you good people driving home from work. I could see the traffic, you know, uh, on Cliff and on the interstates. And uh, it, was, it looked terrible because it was, 57th Street was backed up from Minnesota almost to Western because people couldn't get up the hill there. You know, they'd stop for the light and then, not good, not good. So I felt bad for you people. I thought, you know, you're probably very frustrated. Um, But I hope you all made it home safe and sound and without any nasty, nasty fender benders. I'm sure there was plenty of that going on. 75, according to Sioux Falls Police. 75 accidents. Which is about normal for a first snow event, but five times the normal amount you would get from Monday noon yeah. through Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. <laughs> That's a lot. 
That's a lot. Slow down, people. You know it's going to be slippery, and sometimes there's not much you can do, but you can always slow down. We've got a great show for you today. Our guests are uh, Kimberly Whaley. She is a University of Baltimore law professor. She's a former assistant U.S. attorney, and she was associate independent counsel in the Whitewater investigation, and she has written an op-ed for The Hill uh, and uh, about why men in politics seem to hang on after allegations of sexual misconduct. Well, those in entertainment and media do not. Uh, we'll talk about the Constitution and how the Constitution applies. Very interesting conversation there. Uh, the Common Man is in for Weird Friends. Always fun. And uh, we're going to talk with Corey Heidelberger at 345. He, of course, is a, a blogger from up in uh, near the Aberdeen area up in there, but he is paying attention to state government. And we're going to talk about the state budget address that was today. Uh, I'm sure he'll have some perspective. We'll chat about that. Also, and this is uh, another big moment for us here on the Patrick Lally Show. Now that, we've, now that we're running on all cylinders here, we're going to take some calls. Okay. And I, I want to do that I, after the weather in the four o'clock hour. So everybody get ready. 338-KSOO. 338-5667. I think. No, no, five, no, no. 5766. 5766. I always get that backwards. 5766-338-KSOO. It's right on the thing, right above my head. There you go. 338-5766. And we're going to talk about this uh, parking ramp vote tonight and the hotel project in downtown Sioux Falls. I'm going to chat a little bit about it here in the PL after the break. But fire up those phones, people, and uh, 338-5766 or 338-KSOO, and you can chat with us. Also... As always, our Twitter feed, at P. Lally, if you want to keep up on that. Uber producer Dan Peters is always over there pounding out updates from the show, so you can follow along there and chat with us. That's always fun. And you can watch live on Facebook uh, for the first hour of the show, at least most days. We are up live on Facebook, so that's fun, and you can chat with us there. little shout-out to the folks on Facebook. Coming up, though, after the break, it is the P&L Statement. And today's topic, as I said, parking. And uh, we've got a brief stupid man update, too, so that'll be fun. That's all coming up on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. 316 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And we're going to try to get a little closer to free today on the PNL statement here today. Uh, looking through the news today, um, you know, first of all, the stupid man stuff just keeps going. Roy Moore now, uh, he's in the stupid man pantheon, okay? I don't care if he gets the, the, the endorsement, the, the, if he gets elected, any of it. Uh, he is clearly in the stupid man pantheon. But uh, apparently now the... Uh, Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee is uh, all behind him, going to give him some money. Uh, the president says we got to elect him. You know, <sighs> ethics and morals, right? Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. And John Conyers today said that he is going to retire immediately. <laughs> I don't know what the difference between that and stepping down and resigning is, but that's what he calls it. And he's endorsing his son to run in his place. So there's a little bit of news, a little movement there on the stupid man front. 
uh, for the day. Uh, but I want to spend most of our time today talking about the council vote tonight on the parking ramp and the big hotel project downtown. And you'll remember that is a $50 million project uh, that is going to go in pending council approval uh, on 10th Street and uh, kind of right behind Phillips there uh, at 1st Avenue. And big deal, big dang deal. And uh, it's a full service hotel and it's going to go on top of a city-owned parking facility pending council approval. Um, it's $30 million private, $20 million roughly of public investment. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but the debate it uh, over the city of Sioux Falls, whether or not we should build this ramp, it's all coming to a big conclusion tonight. I think it's going to pass. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it should. It should pass. Um, the discussion points, and you've heard them on this program. We've had uh, guests in. We've had Teresa Staley in. We had Greg Neitzert in. Um, and we've talked about this with uh, uh, blogger Scott Arisman, and I've talked about it a lot. The discussion points are this. Whether the city should be entering this level of partnership with a private business. This is, uh, it's a level of cooperation that we haven't done in the past in terms of essentially building this ramp that will be the foundation of a hotel. And so there's a lot of shared expense there. There's a lot of uh, shared uh, commitment there over the long term. Um, that's a big deal. And because it's new, is the ramp too expensive at about works out to about $26,000 per stall versus what a number that was bandied about as a national average of 20,000 uh, early reports had that 26 number much higher, but that's because the mayor's office and we had Joe Sneevy on this program, the Argus Leader reporter who wrote that story, did not provide complete information, refused to provide the information in advance of that story. And that just confused the issue even more. Who will benefit? There are calls for more transparency in terms of investors, given that it's a public partnership involving public money. The question is, who is making money off our money? It's a legitimate question. And do we even really need more parking? Now, there are other points uh, and that have come up, and they're all worth uh, consideration. But those are kind of the big ones in my brain. Uh, it's been a lively and mostly constructive discussion by the administration of Mayor Mike Huther and a few members of the city council and members of the media. These are legitimate questions, and they need to be answered. But I think they have been. What I think has complicated matters more than necessary is the lack of cooperation and transparency by the mayor's office. That's become the norm, and that's unfortunate. The opaque nature of city government these days creates an atmosphere of distrust and suspicion around what should be and is a very exciting project for our beautiful downtown. That doesn't mean it shouldn't pass. The obfuscation does not tarnish what I think is a pretty solid proposal. Councilor Teresa Staley has pushed for a deferral, and she was on this program talking about it, and she's been uh, out there uh, campaigning uh, for a deferral and raising the questions that need to be raised. She wanted to wait at least until after a new mayor takes office. She has raised these core questions of cost and transparency, as she should, as she should. In my mind, however, 
Greg Neitzert, Counselor Greg Neitzert, has answered many of these questions. Neitzert was on the Patrick Lally Show on Monday after releasing his detailed reasoning about why he supports this project, why he's leaning strongly for it and trying to go through what he called the 12 myths surrounding the parking ramp and the hotel project. It's unfortunate that, to me, that this explanation and the reasoning for the project, as large as this, fell to a part-time city councilor. Now, it's not that the city officials didn't answer some of these questions. It's that it was difficult. It was overly difficult. And withholding information from Joe Sneavy when he was trying to write that story just was evidence of making things harder than they need to be. But Greg Neitzer took it upon himself to reasonably try and explain it from his position. And I, he did a lot of uh, research, as he always does, and he goes deep into details, deep, deep, deep into details. And you can still go read his uh, materials at P. Lally Show. We posted a, the link up there yesterday, the PDF. It's still sitting there if you want to read it. That should be the responsibility of the administration. In this case, the administration, I think, has failed miserably because they don't like to be questioned. They don't like to answer questions. And I think uh, Mr. Ketchum, who's a community development director, he, he has tried hard to answer questions of counselors and that kind of thing, but they're not selling it, you know? You know what I mean? Greg Neitzer's explanation was the best I'd seen. And it's a good one. Legacy Development, which is the developer on this project, should publicly thank Councillor Neitzert for his commitment to this. There is one large question that remains, however, which underlines all the suspicion that's out there. Will any current public employees or their close friends or associates profit from this deal? We don't know. I mean, we'll never know. It's just suspicion because of past practices. Mayor Mike Huther, early in his administration, had invested in development projects that required city approval, zoning, that kind of thing. That set a stage of suspicion. I don't know. I, we don't know who the, who's going to benefit from this. We know who the four signatures are to the deal, and there's concern over Mr. Hulkerin whose construction company that doesn't exist anymore, as Greg pointed out, was involved in the Copper Lounge collapse. And that's a legitimate question. Um, Greg's Neitzert's explanation of that yesterday, that you know he's still an employee of Legacy. I mean, they're different entities. It is still a cause for concern, and I, I understand that. But it, it, if he didn't sign off on it, if he wasn't public, he's still an employee of the company, then it would seem more suspicious in my mind. The responsibility, though, for reporting conflicts, if you're a, a, a public employee, rests with that official who might have the conflict to disclose. This is a serious problem, I think, for us broadly in this city, in that there's no real standard for disclosure or a, uh, a prohibition on involving yourself financially with 
development projects or what, whatever kind of project that may require, that may come before the city. It's not that they, this one involves public money. Most of them don't. But it is a serious problem if city officials, as Mayor Huther has done in the past, are invested in projects like this. It just shouldn't happen. If you want to make money, that's fine. I mean, that's cool. And, you know, if you have money to invest, it doesn't mean you can't invest when you're the mayor or a counselor or a department head or anything like that. It just means that you have to, first of all, you need to disclose it. Second of all, you probably shouldn't do it anyway. You shouldn't invest in things that are questionable. And if you have to question it, it's probably not a good idea. Put it in index funds, man. All right? Index mutual funds. You make fine money, and then when you get out of office, you can make all the money you want. But this is a good project, I think. I think it's good for downtown, and it's good for our city. The mistrust that has developed under this administration shouldn't harm what appears to be a necessary and progressive project for downtown Sioux Falls. That's the bottom line on today's PL. Agree or disagree? You can email me at p at patrick at kso.com or contact us on Twitter at P Lally Show. Coming up after the break, it's the Weird Friends. Today it's the common man. That's coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 334 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And it is time for our glory days here on the Weird Friends segment as we bring in the common man. Common man, uh, are, you, are you cleaned out? Are you shoveled out? Are you, you got everything spick and span over there? It's a Tuesday, December 5th, a date that will live in infamy. <laughs> Sioux Falls, South Dakota, suddenly and deliberately attacked by old man Winter. <laughs> That's pretty good. Thank you. That's my that's my very uh, terrible impression of FDR's patrician. It wasn't uh, bad. Nah, yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah, you ought to think about that. It, it was not fun. It was not fun scraping, but you know it's got to happen, right? <sighs> Sooner or later, you know, you got to give up the ghost. It's going to come. It's going to come. So it's winter. Now we're in winter. Now we're now we're officially in the holiday season, right? Sure. And I and I know you. You see. Of all my weird friends, all right, you might be the most optimistic person, the most the most likely to be filled and uh, with the holiday cheer, the spirit of the holidays. That's probably true, don't you think? Yeah, it, you know, and I, I think our our city's the same way. You know, don't you love the fact that our city's most divisive issue is a parking ramp? <laughs> that's true. And debates about how we should grow. Yes, that's of- right. Anybody got any ideas on how we can grow? What Bueller, we, anybody? Any, anybody? What should Something. We tear down. Can Anything? we tear down some stuff? <laughs> Let's throw some stuff at the wall. But you're right. I mean, I mean, holiday season. I mean, well, I, I listened yesterday. That it was is it, is it Greg Neitzert? Is yeah, that Neitzert? Yeah. Yeah. He had twelve misconceptions. I mean, only Martin Luther <laughs> has a longer <laughs> list of beasts than Greg. Like, hey, gee was, whiz! Like, you know, chapter and verse. It was well. You should go read it. It's. Uh, I did. It's a, I did. <laughs> I thought of it you know, as you said earlier. It was. It was very well done. And why? Why? How hard was that? 
know, that's exactly it. Just give me a document, let me read it, and let me make up my mind, right? Good Lord. But, I mean, yeah. But, you know, it's in, in that spirit of things like that, you know, a little transparency, you know, in and around the holiday season, you also get into that sort of soft and warm and fuzzy sentiment that we kind of run into, you know, mm-hmm. the peace on earth, goodwill towards men and women everywhere. Especially on this show. Yep. That's sort of a warm and fuzzy seven. Everybody agrees with, but nothing, you know, never seems to happen. Yeah. You know, it never seems to actually occur, you know, but here it is. And I was trying to think of a couple of Sioux Falls examples of those sort of, uh, you know, sentiments that would that come up from time to time. And one of them I thought that would be a good starter would be if the non-political city positions could really be non-political. Yeah, non-partisan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the mayoral races supposedly, you know, non-partisan, right? Mm-hmm. Not supposed to be any parties involved. Mm-mm. But, you know, you'll talk to people and they'll say, you know, yeah, I, I listened to so-and-so on the Patrick Lally show the other day. You know, and I thought that they're very engaging. They seem very bright and they have some good ideas. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, really? Well, that's pretty cool, you know. And, and then, 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 then you're saying one, two, three. <laughs> but they're, well, you know. <laughs> and I, and I, I sit there and go, what, they have leprosy? <laughs> they, they kick puppies? <laughs> they can't sing or dance? What's the problem? What do I not know? Yeah, well... They're a Republican, or they're a Democrat. Yeah. So yeah, but you like all that other stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, can we can we be about things and not letters, people? Yes, you know, and so it just it gets so it gets so hard sometimes. I mean, uh, when my family took a vacation to Philadelphia mm-hmm. last summer, we went to the National Constitution Center, and they laid out all the you know statements from politicians from the past, and you had to pick who said what. And the one thing I found out is that Dwight Eisenhower made one hell of a Democrat. Yeah. John Kennedy made one hell of a Republican today. <laughs> so time and place and, and, and context, folks. I mean, listen to the people, not to letters. Yeah, and, you know, in, in a city election, the issues that are before, I don't think there's a, a, a party stance, a Republican-Democrat stance on the parking ramp. You know what I mean? Well, do you approach it from the left, or do you approach it from the right? <laughs> well, it's on a one-way street, so I think you're probably going to have to approach it from the right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, I mean, it's just, it's just mind-boggling how those things go. And yeah, and the level of things, it's, it's a public service position. I mean, how, how complicated can it be? But in South Dakota, people see that, oh, if you get to be mayor of Sioux Falls, by God, you're going to be the next, our next congressperson or your next senator. Because there's, you know, there's only so many political jobs to go around. Mm-hmm. So by golly, if we if if we let this Democrat or this Republican get into office, by God, it'll it'll be creep. It'll be creep, I tell you, Pat. <laughs> yeah, and they bring all the barrels on them. <laughs> the other one that I thought about too is I said, you know, wouldn't it be nice if it, that an east-west corridor could be conceived and built in our city without a civil war breaking out? That's not possible, John. You know that. I, I don't think it is, because the second you start talking about it, it becomes some sort of Ayn Rand versus Karl Marx <laughs> class warfare debate, you know, where it's land and the wealthy's oppression and dominion over the serfs. <laughs> well, I, I just want to get to the mall fast. Yeah. <laughs> no, you just got to go around. It's never going to happen, Common. 
it's never there will be no crossing between 12th and 41st streets it's not going to happen oh well, and, and so if you if you're, you're to be somebody who's going to put you down and say patrick why is that one thing i mean why what's the biggest reason that can't happen well it's because there's two country clubs in the way <laughs> and there you go also also and this should be said it's not just the country clubs if you were going to do that you'd have to widen if you're going to widen 26th street are you going to do that that would be tough well you'd have to buy my house yeah <laughs> that's true that's true you're already in the shadow of urban renewal over there so i love yeah i love it nothing like the the hum of 229 to put you to sleep at night. <laughs> it is a hum these days, too. Oh, yeah. Well, a hum, and you know, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's kind of become a very dangerous little section of the road, too. And I, I feel it's, 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 that sound is not good either. And unfortunately, you can hear that. And yeah. some of the accidents recently have been sort of terrifying over there. Yeah, so you live near the interchange that's going to be completely renovated, and they started doing some of it already, the the park part of that, the 229 East 26th Street uh, mega intersection. That's going to change your life a little bit, dude. Oh, my goodness. We went to the this, the public meetings, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I, I'm a double diamond. I did not know what a double diamond was before. But I'm going to know pretty soon. You'll be driving in it. I'll be going, yeah, well, I, gotta double. I might have to take a couple of college courses just to figure <laughs> out how to get, take a right turn to get to my house. I mean, this is, the, I mean, this, remember when they put in the 229 exit on, on 10th Street? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like chaos. That was, that was uh, you know, uh, a Mel Gibson movie there for yeah, a while. I mean, and now but people, it took people years to figure out how to make a left turn on the 10th Street. All the dots, people. Just follow follow the dots. Follow the dots. Look at the arrows. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) And so they show us these diagrams of what that's going to look like. And it's, oh, my God. Do I need a visa? I mean, what do I I, I have to get a passport photo taken? (laughs) That's right. I'm not sure what i got to do here. You got any more warm fuzzies for me? Well, I was also thinking it would be nice to, if we could build a society where bicyclists, Oh, and cars could get along. No, see, that's, yeah, that's not going to happen either. I, you know what? It is going to happen because it's just education, man. It's just education and breathing. Well, it is. It is. And if we can get you, you know, to, if, I think you guys just need your separate road. <laughs> no, 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 that's not it. That's it's not it. a separate road. Just a separate road. Right through the country club there. Yeah. Right through the country <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, yeah, you guys could have a little overpass right over the one of the fairways. Well, there is supposed to be a new bridge opening up over there. Well, it's already in, the dam. And they're supposed. It said, there's a big sign that says, coming in 2017 on the side of the dam there by between uh, uh, right on the Big Sioux at the confluence with the uh, Skunk Creek. Coming in 2017. They, they must be going to work real fast because it ain't coming anywhere near close. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. n- nothing Holy. happening over there. Nothing. Yeah, that might be the presto change. They'll be, you know, who's, on, who's, uh, who's the contractor in that, David Copperfield? <laughs> Voila! <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Hey, did you bring a joke for me today I there, Connie, man? I do, and it's, it's a more of an observation than anything today. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I just, you know, to start out, you know, my wife is a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Best thing to ever happen to me. But, you know, back in my bachelor days, Patrick, I, I was really something. You were. You know, most women thought I was God. Really? Yep. 
most of them didn't think I existed, and the rest only approached me when they needed something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And with that, Common Man, thank you very much. Good to be with you, Patrick. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk with Corey Heidelberger of the Dakota Free Press blog up there in in Aberdeen, and we're going to chat about the state budget, get his perspective on that. That's all coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. 348 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And the governor's budget address was today. He says we're broke. Basically. So we got on the line. We thought, you know, who should we talk to about this and get a little reaction to the budget address. Uh, And so we called up Corey Heidelberger. He is the author, the force, the uh, uh, founder of the Dakota Free Press blog. And uh, he comes at these things from, you know, maybe a slightly left-handed position. Uh, Mr. Heidelberger, thanks for being here. Mr. Lowley, thanks for having me. Glad to be on. So it's it's not it's not unfair to call you uh, left leaning, right? I welcome the characterization. You can even call me liberal if you like. I think liberty's great, and everybody should have as much of it as they can. That's outstanding. So first of all, you've been doing doing the Dakota Free Press blog now for quite a while. When did you yeah, start? In, in in one form or another, I've been blogging about South Dakota politics and the budget and the governor and all that since about two thousand five. That's a long time. Most people don't don't make it that long. It, it is. It's kind of scary. I checked my database this month, and I've I've over the over that stretch, I've written over fourteen thousand articles, and most of them are about South Dakota politics. That's pretty amazing. Now, uh, there are conservative bloggers out there. There always have been, but a lot of people have come and gone over the years. Um, what's the state of uh, of blogging before we uh, talk about the budget? Real quick, is it alive and well in this Facebook age? You know, it's I. I you mentioned Facebook, and that's exactly it. I think that the ease of using things like Facebook and Twitter and the ability to just kind of spit out, you know, a sentence or so or, you know, 280 characters now, holy cow. But to do kind of quick hits on things has scratched the itch that I think a lot of people have that would have gotten into blogging before. Um, so, you know, your long-form bloggers, people who are writing, you know, like I do, two, three, four essays a day on various topics and doing charts and research and doing multiple links, not as many people are doing that anymore because people have found an easier way to engage on, on a more casual basis. Right, right. So let's talk about the budget. So the budget address was today, austere budget. We don't have a lot of money. The governor says no raises for anybody. What's, yeah. your, re- what's your reaction to that? Well, it's, it's austere and it's, it's visionless. I mean, you know, given an economic slowdown, which apparently is what we have, or you know, I'm not even sure if I want to call it an economic slowdown. The problem is we aren't getting as much sales tax revenue. People don't appear to be buying as much stuff as they used to from, you know, South Dakota vendors, mm-hmm. or at least from places that are going to be subject to sales tax. I don't know that that means South Dakotans are a lot poorer now. I just think it means we've got a tax system that's broken. We're not capturing the wealth that's in this state. You know, we've got rich people coming in with their trust funds. you got you know, incomes that are pretty high, big houses going up on Lake Madison and this and that. There's wealth out there. We just insist on having the system that says, well, let's charge people for their groceries. Yeah, And you, that's why we're stuck. When, when you have a limited tax system like this that doesn't adjust with the economy and the times, it's going to look like we're stagnant. And certainly our gover- government's going to be stagnant. 
Now, Governor Dugard could meet that stagnancy in two ways. One, he could offer a bold new vision, a plan that says, you know what, things aren't that bad, and we're going to find a way to solve this, and we're going to boost education, we're going to pay our state employees what they're worth, we're going to do something different, and here's what it is. That's not what we got today. We didn't get vision. We didn't get a bold plan. We got, well, things are tough, so we're just going to 0% everything and deal with it. And, so, and from the sound of it, I listened to some of the commentary from, like, Mark Mickelson and Jim Bowen, you know, mm-hmm. some of your area legislators in the, in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. and they all pretty much shrugged and said, yep, that's just the way it is. Oh, well, no raises. Yeah, and it seems that's a kind of a, that's what's going to happen. But the, the, the real important part of that is no raises for teachers. I mean, state employees, yeah, I, you know, everybody should get a raise. But the teachers, we raised our taxes, our sales tax specifically to give teachers raises, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's, that's what's really disappointing me. If you look into the, the detailed budget, Governor Dugard didn't mention this, I think, in his speech, but, you know, two years ago, or well, a year and a half ago, we did the big sales tax increase from the blue ribbon panel, the extra half percent. That was supposed to raise our teacher pay up to 48500 a year, get us out of the bottom nationwide, and then we were going to increase that target salary every year. We only increased that. We, didn't meet, we haven't met that target salary yet statewide. We only increased the target like uh, you know, a couple hundred dollars last year, and the governor's budget this year says, nope, we're not planning on any increase for teachers. The target salary stays flat, and that that's a disappointment. We're already giving up on the kind of the dream, the whole intent that that sales tax was sold on less, you know, less than two years ago. Yeah, it's it's pretty stunning the degree to which that just got shoved to the side. Uh, yeah. So the, you say the solution is to change the tax structure. Is it the only other option is an income tax, right? Well, I, I won't say the only other option, but I'll say it's pretty obvious. You know, and yep. the federal government runs on an income tax, and, and you know we, we're fine with that. We'd rather have a federal income tax than a federal sales tax, at least I would. Um, and the fact is, that's where the wealth is. And even the governor, you know, he talked about the causes of this decrease in state revenues. He said, well, it's low farm income, it's low inflation, it's e-commerce sales, and it's increased health care costs. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, when you have consumption-based taxes, well, then sure, e-commerce sales, if people go buy stuff from, you know, folks who aren't uh, paying us the sales tax, or if they just hop the border and, you know, buy groceries in Minnesota, of course we're not going to capture that with consumption. If we had an income tax that captured some of the wealth we have on your million-dollar homes and all that kind of thing, then sure, we'd have a more stable tax system. And that's, that's the three-legged stool that you'll hear fiscal experts talk about. You have your property tax, you have your sales tax, you have your income tax. Right. If you're down on sales tax, well, income tax still supports that and keeps things more stable. It balances South Dakota it out. just keeps resisting yeah. that obvious solution. Corey Heidelberger, he is the author and owner and force behind DakotaFreePress.com, which is a blog on South Dakota politics from a left-leaning point of view, and you might want to stop by there and see what Corey has to say on this issue. Corey, thanks for taking a couple minutes for us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Glad to help. Coming up after the news at the top of the hour, we're going to have weather, and then we're going to take some phone calls. So get ready, 338-KSOO. I want to talk about the parking ramp. We can talk a little bit about the budget if you want, but the parking ramp issue is the big topic of the day. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000-KSOO. Three fifty-seven on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. 
thought we'd calm down just a little bit. Dire Straits, so far away. Uh, of course, I'm a big Dire Straits fan, so I drop it in whenever I feel it's appropriate. Hey, don't forget, coming up December 14, 15, 16, 17, that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Christmas at the Cathedral. It's at the Cathedral of St. Joseph all four nights at 7.30, plus a 1 p.m. performance on Saturday and a 2 p.m. on Sunday. Proceeds will benefit the Bishop Dudley House and the Cathedral of St. Joseph Ongoing Care and Maintenance Endowments. Go to ccfesd.org for more information or just Google it. You'll find it. Great event for Christmas. Coming up after the news, it's going to be weather, and then we're going to take some open phones. Open phones! And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, politics and sexual misconduct in the workplace and all that kind of stuff. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. Four ten on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we've got Blaze Keller on the line over at KDLT Weather. Blaze, uh, tell me that everything's going to be okay. I mean, every, I mean, you know what? I, I love the, the saying, it's both good and bad, but time goes on. Yeah, that's time right. Time goes on. So, and time will go on, and things will get better. And, and we will enjoy our winter sports, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, we could use a little bit more snow for those. But uh, we certainly got our kind of first taste of winter yesterday with that system. It was a powerful system. Didn't see a whole lot in the way of snow. And we kind of weren't expecting our, our accumulations to be heavy just because we were going to be seeing cooler temperatures throughout your day. So we'd be seeing melting. But uh, we did see strong winds, and that low-pressure system um, was so strong that it actually changed the jet stream in such a way that now – we're on the downslope of a ridge, so that's why we were cooler today. That's why we will be cooler tomorrow, and pretty much hanging out in these 20s all the way through about the about Saturday. So that's when we'll start to see some 30s return. Until then, we may see some snow tonight, maybe some flurries as well into Wednesday, quiet Thursday. Another round of snow possible Thursday night into Friday, quiet for your weekend, up to about 34 on Sunday, and then it looks like another system moves through and we will see some snow maybe Monday and then back into the 20s by next Tuesday. Well, that's not so bad. No, December, I mean, it, it, it could be worse. It could always be worse, you know. Uh, but it was, certainly was kind of a quick snap of the fingers and fall was over. Yeah, that's right. Well, it was, sure. a, it was a lovely fall. Let's not forget how beautiful the weather was for quite a while, right? We can't. We would be remiss if we just forgot all about it. So uh, what is it out there right now, Blaze? Tell me uh, what I got for the ride home. It is, it's 27 uh, degrees. We don't really, we may be seeing some flurries in, say, southwestern portions of the, uh, of the listening area. And uh, we do have a little bit of a, a wind chill out there. So it is 27, but it feels a couple of degrees cooler at about 19. So definitely want to bundle up there. This evening. It'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, Blaze Keller, KDLT Weather Center. Thanks for being with us today, Blaze. Yeah, no problem. Hey, uh, we've been talking about uh, the phones. We're going to take some calls here on the Patrick Lally Show, uh, 338-KSOO, if you've got something you want to talk about. But specifically, we would like to chat with you. I want to know what you guys think about this whole uh, parking ramp thing. 
All right. So we've been talking about this for a while, but, um, you know, what does it mean to you? I don't know. Uh, do normal people get uptight about this? It's tax money, right? Largely it's, it's user fees and the council is going to vote tonight to decide whether or not to basically sell a bond to build a parking ramp for, uh, you know, $20 million minus there's about $4 million in there. That's uh that's site preparation, right? So if we bond for this amount of money, then we got to pay the bond back. Well, the way we're going to do that is using the parking fees. And uh, as you know, Greg Neitzert was on this program yesterday, Councillor Greg Neitzert, and we were talking about how they had raised parking fees not that long ago to try and raise that amount of money uh, to so that expand the pool of cash that was in that dedicated fund. So uh, according to Neitzert, it's up to about $5 million. So you got a, a good base to start with. And they, the parking fees should keep coming in uh, like normal. I mean, it's, we're talking about leased parking here in general. But what do you think? What do you think? Should we be building this parking ramp? Should we be doing this whole thing to create a, a big new fancy hotel in downtown Sioux Falls? It'll be the tallest building in the city. It's the tallest building in South Dakota. Now, it's like a 13, 14-story building. Let's not get carried away, right? But it's going to be on top of a parking ramp that we build. Is that a good thing? I mean, I think it's a good thing. I said in the PNL, I think it's a good deal. I think we got, I think this is okay. And there's a lot of suspicion surrounding it and everything else. But I think it's a good deal. So, I mean, what do you guys think? 338-KSOO. That's 338-KSOO. It's, the numbers are 57 six six five seven six six and uh uber producer dan peters is in there and he's he's uh uh taking your calls and screening your calls and uh we have well we have a, we have a call on line one let's let's see who is on our phone today you got to go a little harder there yeah patrick. i'm i'm oh there, there we go. go hey uh welcome to the patrick lally show who is this pam pam how's it going Great. What do you think about this uh, parking ramp? Are you all in or are you all out? I would be all out. All out? How come? Because I think it's too much money. I think if a private developer wants parking for his facilities, he ought to build it himself. It doesn't provide that much parking. The price went up from when they originally talked about it. Um, it just seems like an awful lot of money to me, and that money is tax money. Well, it's user fees. Do you, do you make a oh. differentiation between user fees and tax money or not? Well, I think user fees are taxes. Okay. And that, you know, the it's paid for by the bond. Are you concerned about being able to pay back that bond or you just think it's it doesn't need to happen? I just think it doesn't need to happen, but when you have to come up, when you add to that the fact that you're going to have to pay back that bond, it's not something I'd want to commit all that money to. Because I think there are other things that might be more important. Do you think that there is a parking shortage? Do you, or is that, you just don't, do you not think it's that tight down there? I don't think it's that tight. They've, they say they've basically sold off, uh, in a lot of places, it's 100% capacity in terms of leased parking for businesses or residents or workers. Um, you think there's other options? What would those be? I think there are other ways to pay for it. And I think, like I said, if I think developer, I mean, we don't even know about who's going to be involved in the development and stuff down there. And I think that's part of it, too. I think there's a whole lot of secrecy, 
and they're not being very transparent in the way they want to get things done or exactly what they intend to do. Yeah, I would agree with you there. It's Then that's part of the problem, right? Is that It is part of the problem. And, and you know, and I don't know that it's true, but this is what I was told. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'm prefacing my remarks yes. by saying I, not, I don't know that it's true, but I don't know that it's not. We wouldn't have that problem if the city was a little more transparent. Um, but legacy development, you know? Yeah. They already prove they aren't a, they've caused problems in town, let's say, that are still unresolved. Well, and how much we're going to have to pay is still unresolved. In terms of the, in terms of the uh, parking ramp, the copper lounge issue? The copper lounge, yes. Well, I, you know, I think there's some, I don't think that, that you know, there's some, uh, I don't know if it's misinformation, but actually who owned that building and the construction company, yeah, the guy who owned the construction company works for Legacy, uh, you know, and so there's a connection there. There's no doubt about that. And it that doesn't look good, even no. if it's, even if there's no, I mean, the construction company that was involved in that demolition doesn't exist anymore. But do it's you believe that, that uh, corporate entities in this case are just trying to shield other people from responsibility? I mean, that I seems think to be what you're possible, saying. I think it's possible, but I think all of this could be avoided if the city administrators and the mayor were a little more transparent in the things that they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't see any reason for the secrecy. And I think it's, I think philosophically it's a bad idea. And I think people deserve better than that. And they're spending our money and they work for us. Sometimes I think they forget that. Yeah, sometimes I think they do. Uh, Pam, thanks for calling in. Okay, I really no appreciate problem. it. Thank you. We'll see how the vote goes tonight. That's the big city council vote. That's at 7 o'clock. I think the meeting starts at 7 o'clock tonight. If you've got something you want to add to what Pam said or you've got your uh, a, con- a contradictory opinion or you agree with Pam, you can call us at 338-KSOO. That's 338-5766. We're talking about the parking ramp deal downtown. And, of course, in the P&L statement at the beginning of the show, I said I think it's a good deal, and I still think it's a good deal. Um, Greg Neitzert has gone through and done a detailed analysis. And, you know, the, the city of Sioux Falls also has made information available. I don't mean – I don't always want to make it sound like it's it's completely in the dark, but it's, it's difficult sometimes to get all the details. And uh, uh, Teresa Staley, Councilor Teresa Staley, has mounted uh, something of an opposition to this plan. Um, do you agree with Teresa Staley? Do you agree with Greg Neitzert? Greg says that he's gone through these myths, and uh, one of the, the myth, myths that he talks about is that, there's, that we don't need parking, essentially. Um, he thinks we do. And so uh, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Do you, are you a downtown parking leaser? Because that's what we're really talking about here is more, more room for leased parking. And we've got a, another call here. Let me just go to the phone. And that's Ray on line one. Ray is on line one. Ray, what do you think about this plan? Well, I'm concerned, too, that it's costing too much and for what they're getting, just 350 or whatever parking spots but also is this a deal where are they going to are we going to get some real estate or some tax money collected from this the private people or is this the deal where they don't have to pay taxes on it for years and years no they heard about that yeah and that's the tiff the tax increment finance yeah. which they use a lot uh there's no tiff on this deal which is to me was a little surprising probably because we are such a big partner in it you know 
we, you know, we're already doing a lot here. Putting a TIF on top of that probably would be too much. But like the, there is a uh, project underway or will be underway soon at the corner of Phillips and about second and third down there. And that got a TIF and that's, and now I, I think that's a Lloyd development. Um, that's where they defer the taxes for a period of time. Right. Uh, that this project doesn't have that. Does that help you or, or is that? Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I think we get too many of those tips. <laughs> well, there's uh, real like concern that. about that. There, there's legitimate concern about overusing the TIF. Yeah, my taxes went up one year, $500 on my house. So yep. these uh, businesses and Lloyd and all that are getting by uh, no taxes for years. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't go with me very good. Yeah, and the idea there is that once it's done, and we helped basically finance the deal that after a period of time, then we start collecting those taxes. And so, yeah, but I in, think it's quite a few years, isn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Usually they're like, I think they can be different periods of time, but I think often 10 years is common if my memory serves me right. Yeah. So, I think we're, we're getting too many of those going. Do you, and, li- uh, do you like this project downtown uh, in and of itself? I mean, do you think it's a good thing for downtown? I think the, I think there might be a, like a smaller ramp they could put there, or, or uh, yeah, I don't know how that's going to go. We got wasn't there another hotel getting built too? Um, there's a hotel going in at Ninth and Phillips. Uh, it's going to be called Phillips Hotel, but it's re re uh, modeling essentially uh, that building there. That's now the security. I think it's called Security Bank Building, big tall one, right on the corner of Ninth and Phillips. That's going to be a hotel, which is going to be really cool. So the uh, cost uh, to park in the, that ramp is that going to be just like all the other ramps, or is that going to be <laughs> yeah. higher? Or? No, I think it'll be it'll be like all the other ramps. I mean, uh, I suppose it's possible that the the hotel will have a certain you know, like if you yeah. go to a hotel in a city and you get valet parking and they take your yeah. car and park it. There might be some of that. I I, I believe there's there's going to be that uh, that's going to be an offer a service offered with the Phillips hotel as well. But um, generally speaking, the rates are, are the same uh, across some of those uh, uh, lots, you know, and if you, there's just driving in and parking for an hour or whatever, then there's leased parking, which you basically just guarantees you entry. And then there's reserved parking. Some places have, and you pay more for that reserved spot. But I was uh, down downtown uh, last week and parked and I could tell the rates must have really gone up because you pour a quarter in the parking meter and you don't get much time anymore. No. If you're in, in specific, like if you're on the street on Phillips Avenue, you uh, you put a quarter in there and you better run <laughs> to get back in time or you're going to be paying. The, the free parking up on Main Avenue, we went down to a restaurant and the free parking on Main Avenue, that's gone away now. There's meters all over the place. Yeah, that didn't last very long either, did it? No. And that's getting, you know, it's pretty expensive to park it. I think we were down there an hour and a half, and I think it was three bucks. Oh, yeah. You know, I've just gone to those, uh, the new meters take uh, debit cards. Yeah, I know. And and I have so many times gotten a ticket when I just didn't have enough change. So I like that meter because I'm like, just give me the max. I don't care. I just don't want that uh, ticket. It's going to make me think twice about going downtown. You think so? Does it? (laughs) Too much. Yeah, the part, do the the meters and everything really keep you from going down there? They're only in they only work from, you know, eight to five. Right, right. That'll probably be expanded too as they want to get more funds to support all this stuff. 
Could be. I see they did that up in uh, the Twin Cities. They are considering going in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis, going to Saturday meters. Pretty soon they'll be parking when you go out to the event center too, paying for that. Yeah. Are you, do you, would that keep you away from events? Because I'm used used to paying for parking when I go to big events. I would uh, think twice about it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty tough parking around there now when there's a lot going on, but it's still not that bad compared to, you know, if you go to a twins game or something like that, you end up walking a long ways. Yeah. Well, we're in Sioux Falls. Yeah, that's true. Minneapolis. We always got to be compared with a city that's lots bigger. That's true. It happens. (laughs) Well, Ray, I appreciate your call, man. Okay. Good luck out there. We will be watching the uh, vote tonight. That starts at 7 o'clock. You can watch it on uh, the uh, city's website, SiouxFalls.org. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Kimberly Whaley. She is an attorney with the, in, she is a law professor in Baltimore. We're going to talk about sexual harassment in the workplace and uh, all the stuff that's going on. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. Welcome back to the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. And, of course, we've been talking a lot on this program, and the whole country has been talking about the allegations of sexual impropriety against uh, people in entertainment and media and politics. And uh, we're lucky enough to have on the phone somebody who has thought and written about these issues quite a bit. That is Kimberly Whaley. She is a professor of law at the University of Baltimore, and she is the uh, former assistant U.S. attorney and associate independent counsel in the Whitewater investigation Kimberly Whaley, thanks for taking a few moments to chat with us today. I'm happy to be here, Patrick. So, as uh, obviously you've you've uh, been in looking at these issues quite a bit. I mean, uh, Whitewater investigation wasn't necessarily about uh, sexual impropriety, but certainly the subject of it had uh, connections to that. And what do you? Um, there seems to be this dichotomy between people in entertainment and media and people in politics. So you have men who say it's uh, Louis C.K. or uh, Matt Lauer or any of these other guys, uh, Charlie Rose, um, the allegations are made, they seem to be credible, or the person admits to them, and boom, they're gone. Um, while in politics, that doesn't seem to happen. What is the fundamental difference for us with these two classes of allegations? Well, I think the question is, who's the boss? of the person that is being charged with these difficult issues. So in Hollywood, the bosses, the um, the producers of a particular program, the CEO, the shareholders, the audience, there's a financial incentive to just move on, get, get rid of bad publicity, and focus on putting out entertainment that is not full of a lot of sideshow drama. Um, when Congress, it's a lot harder because the boss are the voters. The voters actually put members in Congress, and that's there for a reason, which is the framers of the Constitution were very mindful of the people being ultimately responsible for their for the exercise of their government power. And power comes from the people, not from some, you know, mystical constitutional document. And so, by definition, it's really hard to just sort of, you're fired, as Donald Trump famously said often in a in when he was in public life, it's very difficult to just, with a sweep of a pen, fire someone or just a couple comments, fire somebody. In Congress, there's a couple ways that can happen. One has, is what we're seeing with um, John Conyers. There can be sort of political pressure where the caucus just loses faith in that individual and kind of makes public statements and says, listen, we want you 
we want you to step down. And here he is retiring, but he's doing it immediately and leaving open a spot. So that's kind of politically a pretty big move on the Democrats' part to leave that seat open. Right. You know, there'll be somebody temporarily replace him, but there will be a a special election, presumably. Mm -hmm. Second is if there can be under the Constitution, Article one, Section five, which talks about what the powers of Congress are. Two-thirds of a particular House can decide to expel a member, and the way the Constitution reads is expulsions for, quote, disorderly behavior. I think there's some question as to whether that that requires disorderly behavior while they're sitting a member of Congress. I would say probably yes. That is, if something happens prior to taking office, I'm not so sure that would work. So so I know there's been talk about um, Judge Roy Moore, if he's elected to the Senate, sort of using the expulsion process to move him out. But I think there are a number of problems with that that we can get into. Um, and and I, as I mentioned before, I think the, the, the third piece is we just wait for the next election and voters can decide, listen, this isn't the kind of person that I want to be representing me. But, you know, news happens so quickly. And with all the stuff that happens globally and nationally that hits headlines, I think by the time we get around to the next election, we've probably moved on and so is voters. So so it is a very attenuated process, and that's troublesome for some for for some reasons, and good for others. We're talking with Kimberly Kimberly Whaley. She is a University of Baltimore law professor, as well as former assistant U.S. attorney, and worked on as independent counsel, associate independent counsel in the Whitewater investigation. And are you surprised at the? kind of the turnaround in the de- with the Democrats. So, you know, a week ago, Nancy Pelosi was saying uh, she was kind of wishy-washy, and then a few days later she was calling for his resignation. That's the kind of political, pl- I mean, that kind of political climate must have changed rather quickly. Um, it, it, it does, it's kind of uh, ephemeral as to what actually can happen in politics. I, obviously, this is the colleagues calling on him to resign or leave or what have you, Conyers, had an effect. He could have just, like some of the others, just hung on for dear life. Sure. And we've seen this historically, you know, where other people have stepped down for various um, wrongdoings or malfeasance. And we're seeing, ironically, I think, on, on the other side of the aisle, we're seeing the Republicans double down on Roy Moore. Um, the RNC originally did not endorse him or withdrew their endorsement. President Trump originally said if these accusations are true, he should step out. And now they're they're kind of going the other direction. So I think it is really interesting. I'm not really sure what to make of it, what the rationale is or the reasoning behind it, because in both instances, I think both parties have a uh, motivation to hang on to whoever's in office because the, because the margins are so slim um, in terms of, you know, the Senate, at least, the Republican majority. But sure, it's quite ephemeral. And I think what's interesting also on the Hollywood side is with this avalanche of allegations, um, we've lost sight a little bit about the implications of, a, of an election of Roy Moore, right? Because as much as the framers did want a lot of the power to stay in the people, the power essentially stay in the people, I think what is missing from this conversation is a acknowledgement of the fact that members of Congress, lawyers, or excuse me, judges, the president of the United States, they have the kind of power that people like Harvey Weinstein do not. I mean, they have power to make laws that bind a lot of people, not just today, but in the future. And so an argument could be made that there should be greater scrutiny, not less scrutiny, at least when it comes to 
questions of ethics and honesty, uh, and that's just not how our system is set up. No, it does speak to the to, to the idea that uh, there are no rules. You, you know, there are no real ethics in politics. It is only what the people decide. And with the election of Roy Moore coming up on the 12th, uh, it really is kind of an interesting test case for um, our sort of broader societal ethic, if that's not too grandiose, uh, in that if he gets elected, people clearly have just looked right past that. They don't they don't think that's an issue or they just flat out don't believe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great point for, for two reasons. One is in Hollywood, we're not seeing a big debate as to whether it's true or not. Right. We you know, maybe someone like Matt Lauer, you hear you hear gossip that this has been going on for years and people kind of knew and maybe the higher ups kind of knew. But once it went public, you know, he's out. We're, there's not a discussion as to whether the women are telling the truth or not. And we're having that discussion um, when we're talking about members of Congress. And frankly, we saw this at the election uh, with the presidential election as well with the Access Hollywood tape. I mean, a lot of people speculated, listen, how many women came out, nine women, or maybe it was more than that, saying that they had had um, sort of problematic sexual uh, encounters or predatory experience, predatory behavior from now President Trump, and the voters overlooked it. I mean, I think the difference with Roy Moore has to do with the age of some of the people who, you know, at, at the time of the incidents, the age of the people that were uh, had these, these experiences with Roy Moore. And I think you're right. I mean, if, if, if he's in office, you know, my view, view as a constitutional scholar is, you know, that is that is what the voters chose. That's what his constituency chose. And I think it's troubling as a person, but from a, but from a constitutional standpoint, I think it's really difficult to say that, that that's somehow an unlawful decision. I don't think it is. It's kind of, it really is. I don't know if it's irony or just a strange um, uh, dichotomy in that uh, from that access Hollywood tape, Billy Bush now has written a, uh, a uh, op-ed for the New York times. I saw him on Colbert. He got fired. Um, and he wasn't even the one who said it. Uh, and the president out of that got elected. So it, it really is, there's different rules for different people in different situations. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I actually hadn't seen that irony in it. I mean, someone mentioned to me the other day, well, why is Billy Bush coming out and saying, listen, that actually happened? What's, what does, what's his motivation? I think that's you know, neither here nor there. But what's interesting about that point is that in addition to having broader question as to does it really matter if this is true? I mean, do we want people in elected office or if it's even possibly true? I would argue, you know, there are lots of reasons why people don't get jobs. And in my mind, this is probably a good one. But the other piece is we're also having a conversation about whether a videotape is accurate or not. And I think that is a fallout from this whole process that, you know, started earlier than the sort of sexual harassment avalanche of allegations. But the fall that's really troubling as a matter of democracy and as a matter of an accountable government, I mean, there are facts, there are things that are real, and we don't need to have a criminal trial to determine whether certain allegations are, are credible or, or, or believable. And from, from a matter of, you know, the Supreme Court precedent in other cases, you, you know, a videotape is a videotape. I mean, juries are allowed to take to pay attention to that kind of stuff. And so I think it's fine to say, listen, 
you know, these are the facts. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I have other priorities, right? It's more important to me to elect someone with XYZ, notwithstanding this extremely troubling moral backdrop. But to say, to, to engage in the conversation as to whether it's even accurate, I think that as a democratic norm, proposition is very, very, very troubling. Because then the question is, okay, who gets to tell the truth then? Who, who is the one who has the truth? And the person in power or the party in power or the people in power can then start dictating what to believe and what not. And that's when we really lose our voice, I think, in a democracy as individuals. It's, it starts to become very Orwellian very fast. Um, Correct. Um, we're here with Kimberly Whaley, and we are going to return after a brief message. She is a University of Baltimore law professor, former assistant U.S. attorney and associate independent counsel in the Whitewater investigation. We're going to talk just a little bit about more about this dichotomy between entertainment and politics and an op-ed that uh, uh, Ms. Whaley has written for The Hill. We'll be right back. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. Welcome back to the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO, and we are continuing our conversation with Kimberly Whaley. She is a University of Baltimore law professor, and we've been discussing the the different nature of uh, the repercussions for peop- for men in media versus men in politics when they are get caught up in sex- allegations of sexual impropriety. Um, uh, Ms. Whaley, are you surprised at all at the 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 in politics, it has started to appear that there's more pressure building on people who are are involved and that they are with whether it's Conyers and it hasn't really risen to the Senate with Franken. But it seems like in the House, there's becoming more pressure for people to resign or say they're not going to run again or do something to get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, there's that. And there's also a discussion around the rules governing the process for bringing a sexual harassment claim in Congress. So as been widely reported, the process was set up by Congress under what's called the Congressional Accountability Act. In that statute, Congress said, listen, we're subject to the same anti-discrimination statutes as everybody else, but then they kind of made their own rules for bringing the claim. And and a few things have happened recently. One is there's there's some agreement that there needs to be training around this issue, which my understanding is historically it's been hard to get any traction on that. And I think members of Congress are very keen on just agreeing to that pretty quickly, which is in and of itself, I think, uh, a notable change. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that training alone is going to change the culture sufficiently, but it's a step in the right direction. And the second part is that there are movements in Congress to change the rules so that it's not so long, three months before a complainant can actually bring a claim at this point, um, even in, in, you know, to a mem- to Congress within Congress. And I'm not talking about a claim in court. And, you know, they don't get counsel, but the, the, the member gets counsel and it's all secret if there's an agreement, all these things that really make it basically so difficult to bring a claim. It's not even worth it. So so that process is, I think, an important shift in addition to what we see in terms of members just coming out and saying, listen, we can't tolerate this in our caucus, period. Um, And that reflects, I think, a broader shift culturally in at least acknowledging that sort of making degrading comments to women or touching them in ways that might seem kind of just friendly but isn't is, is not okay. 
that being said, as you mentioned earlier, the fact that, you know, Roy Moore is pulling ahead in the polls and the president and the RNC are now endorsing him. I mean, it's it's just this weird dichotomy between on the one hand, we're seeing this this recognition that, you know, women need to be treated, you know, with equal respect and also this this sort of movement to say, well, notwithstanding that, we still want these people in power. Or we still, yeah, we still want these people in power. It's essentially what an endorsement means. Please vote for him. Yeah. And it is, you know, at one time, at one point you think, well, there seems to be this broad societal shift to say this is bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then just, you know, bleeding out the other side, like you say, with endorsements and uh, thinking, well, maybe it's going to be okay. It it doesn't speak well to our uh, system of government in terms of there's the Constitution in that the rules are set out, but there we, we, we seem to lack any sort of ethical or moral framework to support that. As a constitutional mm-hmm. scholar, are you worried that ultimately that lack of some sort of ethical standard can under, undermine the actual rule of law and the, the, the Constitution itself? That's a great question, and actually one of the reasons that I've kind of come out of academia and more into the public sphere and sharing my, my not only ideas, but just kind of basic constitutional principles is because of that in particular, this idea that people need to really understand what the Constitution is. It's not this bulwark, this mystical protection that is going to swoop in and make sure that we don't end up in a situation where our individual liberties are trampled on and there's uh, more one or more individuals that have more power than can be checked. I mean, that's that's the broader theme that the, the framers were worried about. They didn't want a king. They were worried about the individual having their rights. That being said, you know, a lot of what we think of as constitutional rights when you think about, you know, transparency, liberty, I mean, there's some language in liberty, but um, this this notion of ethics that you mentioned, accountable government, fairness, you know, not a lot of that stuff is not in the Constitution itself, right? It's not written anywhere. And that being said, there's a lot of sort of contemporaneous writings of the framers. There's a lot of stuff in Supreme Court case law that talks about these ideas. And when politicians get on the stump, they talk about American principles and American ideals. But they're not often, you have to read them into the Constitution. And when there's ambiguous language in the Constitution, um, some judges will look to to the ideas behind democracy and say, listen, we're going to read this in a way that's consistent with democracy. And I think that that just has gotten lost, that it's up to the people really to say, okay, this is a piece of paper. How do we want this piece of paper enforced in what way is it just to win is that do the ends justify the means is it for my side to win in this power struggle or is it so that you know for generations we have a government that works for the people and not for individual politicians or corporate america or special interests and and that's a very kind of theoretical esoteric kind of woo-woo type concept but as you suggest it's really on the line in my view today I mean, in a real way, and I'm very passionate about, you know, not engaging in a political but way, but engaging in a way that people kind of wake up and say, listen, I really want to understand this better because um, the other thing that's happened in the last 20 years is, is, you know, the Internet. And we get so much information and everything's in sound bites and, and it's easy to just 
believe something or hear something and think that's in your interest and not really understand its implications. Um, and that's also, I think, a dangerous, a dangerous shift that is affecting our democracy. Do you, it, 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 what it ultimately comes down to, and I think the crux of the message is that, as you said, it's, it's on us. Um, but it doesn't seem like, um, it's hard to have a lot of faith in us right now when you look at how elections are being run and how people seem to be completely disconnected from that responsibility to say, uh, this guy believes more what I want, what I believe, but I think he's a crappy person one way or the other. And uh, so I can't vote for him. It doesn't seem like that's happening. It's people take this information, they see what they want to see, and then they, mm -hmm. they, they stick to this notion of my facts. You know, the old saw about you, you're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to your facts. And right. And I think, go ahead. Go, no, I mean, that's what's wrong. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> and I, I think there's a big, I think there's also, and I told my, I told my students this the day we had a discussion the day that President Trump was elected, because obviously people are on different sides of the aisle on that one. And I said, you know, there's a big difference between politics and policy. I mean, we see this tax bill going through Congress, which pretty much every expert agrees is bad for the constituency on the whole that voted for President Trump. Maybe in the short term there'll be a tax cut, but, you know, it's certainly not a long term. Nobody claims it is, whereas it is long term for big, big corporations. I mean, this, these are facts. These are not these are not debatable um, in terms of, you know, we might debate the policy around it, like say, listen, we think we think it's worth these sacrifices on the middle class for X, Y, Z, but we live in a world of politics, which is very different from policy, and this is what I talked about with my students after President Trump was elected. I mean, politics is ideological, politics is like a belief system, politics is like my team needs to win, and I will, we, I will view the process and the details and the facts and what unfolds in, in light of my team winning. And I think the difference is we've lost sight of that, you know, you're, you're winning your team, but you're losing the battle, or maybe that's the wrong metaphor, but the point is constitutionally in terms of how our government is set up, you know, we all lose if we allow politicians to abuse the process and to abuse the office and, and to, to make decisions that aren't consistent with the kinds of ethics and morals we teach our own children. I mean, you know, once people get away with something, it's hard to undo that in the future. I mean, I, I call it the tools in the toolbox, right? Once we waterboard to torture, we can later say that was bad, but that's now in the okay corral for presidents going forward. It's hard to undo it. Um, and I think the kind of the bigger picture is something we need to just be mindful of and get out of a black and white, yes or no, you know, my side versus your side mentality, this, this polarized political mentality and think clearly about it the way we think clearly about decisions in our own personal lives. It's, it has that level of importance and, um, and just, I don't know, we can go on and on. Is it mm -hmm. the media? Is it, you know, fake news, which I just oh. think is a real disaster in terms of a, a tagline for how we make decisions on a global or national level. I mean, we can talk about it, you know, the reasons for it, but, but there aren't many people saying, listen, let's stop, stop the political conversation, talk about policy. What's actually good for me and my family and who's going to, to make decisions consistent with that and my value system?
Um, it's individual responsibility, and we talk about that all the time as a virtue, but it is also mm -hmm. a deep responsibility as a citizen. And that's, I think people are just shrugging that. But, you know, we it is a, it's a great conversation. Uh, Kimberly Whaley, uh, University of Baltimore law professor. You can read more about her thoughts on this matter and uh, at thehill.com, and we will post that link up on our Twitter feed at P. Lally Show. So if you want to read more about uh, Kimberly Whaley's thoughts on this issue, you can do that. Uh, Kimberly Whaley, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO.